Okay, it's thought that the book of 1 Peter, which is the book that we're in, and in your handout you'll see it, um, it has my name at the top, and it's entitled Suffering, Short-Term Persecution in the World, Long-Term Perfection in Christ. All right, and then what I did is I actually put the whole verse that, mo that we'll mostly be working from right there on your paper, so you don't have to do so much turning back and forth. So let's do some background on 1 Peter. It is thought that the book of 1 Peter was written in response to what was happening during the reign of the pagan emperor of Rome. His name was Nero. Most of you are familiar with your Bible history. And during his reign, the entire city of Rome was actually burned down. The Roman citizens were devastated because they lost almost everything. Their belongings, their homes, their marketplaces, their idols of pagan worship, their shrines, their temples, everything that represented their faith and their culture was lost. The Roman people were so angry because they had heard that the emperor himself, Nero, had actually burned down everything. Is that crazy? Right? You'd go, well, why would the emperor destroy his own land? Well, it was thought that he did it because he loved to build and he loved power and creativity, and he loved to do it, so he wanted to rebuild everything his way. Talk about pride and power, like seriously. And we got plenty of pride and power represented today in our world, right? So there's nothing new under the sun with that. Nero knew, because of the people's anger, that he had to cast the blame on someone, or the people were gonna revolt on him. So he lied, and he cast the blame on the Christians of Rome. This was both really smart and really easy because the people of Rome already were hostile towards Christians to begin with for two reasons. One, because they were Jews, and two, uh, or associated with Jews, and two, because they were known for being anti-Roman culture or worldly culture. It's basically the same thing. So unjust persecution of the Christians spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. The Christians had to flee for their lives because they were actually being attacked, they were being martyred, they were being killed in the name of Jesus for their faith. They scattered and they hid as they suffered for Christ's sake. Now you might be thinking, okay, Sherry, persecutions for the faith, that was common during biblical days, but we don't see it today, not at least not here in the US, right? Or perhaps you're thinking, I know that happens today, but outside the borders of America is where that happens because we have freedom of religion. Let freedom ring, right? Well, let me just rattle off a few statistics to you from Christianity Today magazine that surprised me and may do the same for you. Now, these are worldwide statistics, not American statistics, and these were uh, compiled as of 2021. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. Abduction. I don't know where they go. They're abducted. Martyrdoms, we know that's being killed for your profession of faith. Martyrdoms rose to over 4,700 worldwide. That's up 60% from the year before. And I know that we had COVID the year before, but before that, it was even lower. So it's going up. And abductions rose to over 1,700. That's up 63% from the year before. Meanwhile, attacks and forced closures of churches, 
numbered over 4,400 worldwide. Now, this is the one that hit home for me, okay? And I think it's because it sounds so possible. It sounds really possible. Increasing video and digital surveillance of religious groups. China maintained it moved decisively to, COVID, to, decisively to contain COVID-19 after the virus took flight in Wuhan. But for its 97 million Christians, the cost was heavy. Now listen to this. As surveillance reached into their homes online and offline, interactions were tracked and their faces were scanned into public security database. Mm-hmm. I see you nodding. I see some of you guys know, right? The reason this one scared me is because here in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we've been so scared by COVID that we've given up a lot of rights to privacy. And my point is not to talk about judge that, but my point is to say we're closer now than we were in the past because our environment is set up that way that allows for persecution to take place. So keeping all of this in mind as our backdrop, let's explore the background more of 1 Peter. It's widely believed that Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter as a response to this persecution that we talked about at the beginning of the session. For those of you walking in late, we were just talking about how Nero burned down his territory and blamed the Christians for it. And so that's why the Christians were under attack. All right. He, Peter wrote both to fortify and encourage his brothers and sisters in the faith. So let's read at the top of your paper, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. And this is what Peter tells believers. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. And after you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Application for us, my dear sisters, we may not be living overseas, but here in the U.S. as believers, we're beginning to be challenged, right? Amen. To both accept and promote unbiblical practices in the workforce by celebrating alternative genders and lifestyles or be left behind at promotion time, right? If you can't roll with this new agenda, Christian teachers and nurses who refuse to align with Planned Parenthood and their agendas, right? They're having to step down. Parents are choosing to pull their kids out of secular schools because they're championing godlessness and they're alternatively homeschooling. This costs parents time, lost wages. Yes, ladies, as the U.S. becomes more and more spiritually dark, we have the opportunity to be lights for Christ, but not without paying a price. Although these situations don't qualify as true suffering yet in the name of Jesus, they are definitely precursors to the suffering that is to come. And if it hasn't hit you yet, what did our mama say? Just keep on living, right? It's coming. Now, I want to make something clear. When I say suffering, I'm not talking about you walk down the street, you fell and you broke your arm, 
or someone sold your car, you got a pay cut. Those are sufferings and they're tough things, but this is different. As difficult as those things are, we're talking about what Peter's writing about here and that's suffering for Christ's sake and being persecuted for it in his name. Okay, now I have an easy question for you and it's a personal question. Who on this earth is most precious to you? Write it down on your paper. It could be a group of people, mamas. <laughs> most precious to you. Okay. Now, here's the hard and heavy question for you. What would you do if anti-Christian persecutors placed a video camera in front of your face and held a gun to your most precious and said, denounce Christ or I'll shoot? May this never be so. I had to run that strong drill on you guys because we're so American. It's really hard to put ourselves in that situation. But I had to have your mind go there so that you could really be thinking about how this could apply to us one day and how we need to prepare our hearts and minds for the possibility of this possible reality to come. God gave his most precious, his son, while we were yet still his enemies. Why shouldn't he require the same for us? It's not an impossibility, ladies. So, how can we be spiritually healthy in the midst of thinking through these things when we encounter this type of persecution? Well, in the text we just read, Peter directs us and encourages us in three ways that I listed on your paper. One is to bow, two is to battle, and then the third one encourages us by telling us of the future hope to expect to bloom. Bow, battle, bloom. Those are your three points on your handout. So, where do we see this in the text? Okay, so the first one, bow. Humble yourselves under God by casting our anxiety upon him. And this is in verse 6 and 7. So let's read verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. When I think about the fact as believers that we are to be salt and light, that we're to be countercultural, so that we shine for Christ, this first command definitely demonstrates this in a big way because it says to us in verse 6, humble yourselves, right? But wait, what? We're under attack. Can't I pick up my weapons and retaliate? Or, or much less, at least defend myself with my weapons? No. That would be the natural worldly response. But as believers, we stand apart. In fact, the book of 1 Peter really devotes a good portion about how we are to live countercultural, right? It says that Christians are to submit to governing authorities, wives submit to their husbands, husbands love your wives. This is radical living, you guys. This is not what's going on in the world. And this can only be done by what? Humbling ourselves. What's so great is, though, we're not just humbling ourselves to anyone. Read the rest of the sentence. Humble yourself under the mighty 
hand of God. Praise the Lord, ladies, right? We're not bowing to the enemy, although it looks like it on the outside. But how scary would that be? No, we're bowing the knee to the king, King Jesus. For those of you who are married, or if you have a father in your life, God's design for you is to submit to them, right? Well, sometimes it's a little bit hard because we don't always think they make the right decisions and they're human and sinners and we're human and sinners and so it all doesn't always work out, right? But not so when we submit to God. He's all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-in-control of every battle for our good and his glory, right? His decisions are always the best. We can trust him. It's a no-brainer to submit to him. We can trust him completely, and that's exactly what he's telling us to do. But there's another benefit to humbling ourselves beneath him during these times. The benefit is that we as believers sometimes overlook, especially if you're kind of a type A personality, if you're if you're like a doer, doers get things done, right? We like checking off boxes and lists and following systems. I love systems. Oh my gosh. We're so busy doing things ourselves and relying upon ourselves that we don't even tap into the actual power source, which is... So how do we tap in, ladies? How do we come out of ourselves? Well, if we go back to the beginning of the passage, it begins in verse 6 with the word, therefore. All right, now, L-A-B-T-S, pay homage to Pastor Kid, Pastor Paul. When you see the word, therefore, we always ask, what is it there for? I'm going to tell them you all got an A. <laughs> it's there because it connects with verse 5, which reads, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what does God give to the humble? Grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. So when we bow before him in humility, he propels us by his grace to do what he asks of us. We don't do it in our own strength, but instead... By his grace. He works through humble hearts. We only need to rely on him. But in stark contrast, if we're self-reliant, doers, right? Proud doers, then verse 4 just told us, God is opposed to the proud. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's a person that I don't want opposed to me, it's that all-powerful, almighty God, right? So essentially, if we act in pride, the outcome is fruitless. Because God opposes us. But if we act in humility by trusting in his strength instead of our own, then he gives us the grace we need to do what he asks of us, now freeing us to rely Solely on him, moving us out of the way. Well, how does this work? Well, okay, many of you are moms, right? Mom, if you asked your daughter to drive to the store to go pick up some milk, because you wanted some milk, but the car had no engine on it, could she, could she accomplish that task? No, 
What does she need? She needs the engine. She needs the power, the engine. And if mom doesn't put the engine in the car, then the daughter can't buy the milk, nor does the mother receive the milk. Nobody wins, right? So why wouldn't the mother give the engine for both the daughter's success and the mother's good for her milk as well, right? So to God. He wants us to succeed in the task he gives us for our good and his glory. So he gives us the right tools. And in this case, the tool is grace. The grace that we need to accomplish what he asks us to do. Grace. So we humble ourselves. And then what? Keep reading. Verse 5. That he may exalt you at the proper time. Now let's remember the context of this passage. The believers were being scattered throughout Turkey, right? This is enemy territory. Nero's army is searching for them to persecute them. And in many cases, they were isolated. Because think of when you play hide and seek. You Everybody scatters and they're hiding behind trees. They're, hide, they're running for their lives and they are hiding wherever they can find a place to hide. Talk about trials and suffering. They're scared. They're possibly injured. They're homeless, probably hungry. And I am sure thinking, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? What? Right? They were on the front lines for Jesus, chosen by Jesus. This is not an earned position, but chosen by God, and their faith is likely shaken. But Peter wants them to have hope in the midst of all this. So he tells them to humbly accept this suffering, and he, God, will exalt them at the proper time, because they're really low right now, right? Hiding them. But God will exalt them at the proper time. God wanted believers to know that just as with Jesus, who had been beaten and scoffed at and hung on the cross to die, there was an earthly temporal time to suffer, followed by heavenly eternal time of exaltation by God of Christ as he sits at the right hand of the Father now. Remember, ladies, Jesus did not live an earthly life of comfort and plenty. Quite the opposite, right? The Son of Man actually bore the punishment of those who rejected him and wounded him. His humble sufferings led to redemption of his enemies. How about us? Are we willing to endure suffering for the furtherance of the gospel here in American culture? Can we tolerate discomfort? We have been very comfortable here in America. Our comfortable homes with all their amenities, our refrigerators overflowing with food, our luxurious cars and amazing health care that makes us believe that we are entitled to escape all pain. We have health and wellness spas and mental wellness centers to free our minds of depression and anxiety due specifically and in large part to being uncomfortable. Not always, but often. But Jesus did not live that way. He certainly didn't promise us that we would live that way. You know what he said? He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know what he said? And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
if indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. You know what he said? He said, for his sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And in this same book, 1 Peter 2.20, he says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure. This finds favor with God. Application for us, we have to be so, we have to stop being so self-focused. We have to stop being so American comfortable. We have to be so American rights. We have to stop it. And instead, we need to be Christ-driven in living through humbling ourselves. And verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So in the original language, the sentence implies the action connected with humbling ourselves is shown by the action of casting. Like that's how we show it. Humbling, we cast. He didn't ask us to go out there and kill the enemies. No guns, ladies? No. Because this is exactly what the dark side, the dark world would do. We are to be lights of suffering in the darkness, not bearing arms against our persecutors, but trusting that the battle belongs to the? Yes. What he wants for us is to take all our fears and all our anxieties in the midst of suffering and then cast them upon him, the one who cares for us. He just is lavishing us with his love sisters. That's why and exactly what we need in the midst of suffering, the loving care of our Heavenly Father. When my little Julia comes running to me in the middle of the night because she had a bad dream, I don't hand her a hammer. That's not the right tool. Right? What does she need from me? A big old mama hug, right? That's the right tool. God gives us exactly what we need when we need it because he cares for us. He's not a ruthless dictator. We're not stormtroopers, Star Wars fans, right? But a loving father who has compassion for his children that we can completely trust. So ladies, bow, bow. Number two, battle, be sober and alert, firm in our faith to resist the devil. All right, and that's in verses eight and nine. Let's read it. Be sober-minded, be watchful, alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is the next command for us, to be sober-minded, okay? And Peter uses the word sober in the same book of 1 Peter 1.13. If you could turn there, it's, it's a good read right there. And oftentimes when you study a book, if you had Professor Kidd, he would have told you this one already, you try to find the same words in the same book to see how the author uses them. It helps you understand its meaning a little better and its context better. So 1 Peter 1.13 reads, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is really like a thematic verse for 1 Peter because what Peter is urging them to do is tell them where their heads need to be during persecution. 
It's to set their hope on the revelation of Christ. Like, don't have your head all bogged down and looking at what's in front of you. But have your hope set on the revelation of the future Christ. Remember, what was said in the last verse, he told us to cast our anxiety upon him, right? This is very practical advice, ladies, because let's think about it. How effective are you when you're anxious? All right. Right. That was a resounding no. Right? <laughs> Not effective. Remember those old black and white movies where the lady is crying anxious, she's falling to pieces, and then a loved one walks up to her and what? Slaps across the face and they say, snap out of it. Right? And they do it to help her. Because if she doesn't snap out of it, she's going to make a bad choice because she's a hot mess and all she's thinking about are her emotions. And she's not thinking logically at that point. So they slap her to calm her down and think. So when Peter writes, be sober-minded, he is saying, snap out of it. Focus. This verse tells you how to do it. It's done by 1 Peter, what it said, verse 113. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we, we can't get distracted by what's in front of us. No circumstances should distract us. We need to look up and keep our eyes on the future prize, the revelation of Christ. John MacArthur describes sober-mindedness as the idea of steadfastness, self-control, clarity of mind, and moral decisiveness. The sober Christian is correctly in charge of his priorities and not intoxicated with the various allurements of the world. And those allurements of the world could be comforts. American comforts. God help us, right? So I, we recently at our Church of Community of Faith just had some missionaries from Ukraine and refugees from U Ukraine that the Lord gave us the privilege of having with us for about two months. And when they were telling us stories about people in Ukraine and how they were battling it out, right? They sent the women and the little, little children. But there were women with teenage boys, with men, and stuff was just blown up all around them. She was sending us all kinds of pictures. They're sitting on heaps of rubble, and they have no power, no refrigerator. I, where are they getting their food? And I'm telling you, they are not complaining. It's really, their mind is very different. It's not American, I'll tell you that. It's very different. They were like, this is our land, and we're going to fight, come life or death, for our land. And they're doing it for land. Peter continues in verse 8, because I, I just don't think we're ready. I just don't think we're ready in America. Be on the alert. There's no sleeping in battle, soldiers, right? Why are we to be sober-minded and be on the alert? We'll keep reading, because verse 8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's looking for you, the one that's fallen apart, the one that needs to snap out of it, the one who's emotionally distraught in America and going, No, 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 this is just too much for me, right? That's what he's looking for. We have an adversary, an enemy, who is against the cause of Christ. We may think our enemy comes in the form of a human body, in the form of a politician or a lawmaker or a boss who's imposing their worldly views upon us, our workplace, our school systems, but the battle is so much bigger than that. Don't get stuck in that. It's so much bigger. 
is truly in the heavenly realm. And this verse says that your true enemy is the devil. Theologian William McDowell says, Satan is not coming this time disguised as an angel of light. Is that him? To deceive you. Or as a snake trying to lure you, right? Kind of sneaking around. No. This time he's coming as a roaring lion. You won't miss him bent on terrorizing people through persecution. There's no hiding this one when it comes. As I watch the news and I see how the media is setting up sides with this new identity politics we've heard about, right? Calling Christians, Trump supporters, anti-vaxxers, anti-choice, four guns, hate speech, homophobic. Whether you align with this or not, we all are lumped in the same group because we all profess Christ as Christians. And they treat us like a monolith, even though we're not. We don't all have those same beliefs, but it doesn't matter. The media is painting that picture. This sets the stage for us to be scapegoats, just like the believers were back in Nero's day, when something goes politically wrong. And we could end up just like those Christians during the time of Peter's writing, scapegoated by a leader that needs a target under himself, or a leader who needs somebody to align with him and wants to get a whole group of people against us, right? You guys, social media, are you kidding me? How long would it take to get the word out that Christians are under fire and everybody go after them? We were in Haiti because we have a missionary with our church. And when we were in Haiti, that land is poor. They're, I mean, their houses are like tents. Some of them have bricks with no mortar. They, that's why the earthquake was so devastating. I mean, they're just poor, poor, poor. But you know what everybody had? A cell phone. With service. Working cell phones. You'd walk around the streets. They didn't even have cars. And they're walking around. Nah, 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 talking on the phone. I'm like, what? The word can get out so fast if they want to turn against us. We will be the hunted. We will be the persecuted in Jesus' name. Things can turn on a dime. And are we prepared? Do we know how to fight? So ladies, do we pick up our weapons now? No. <laughs> this is not, this is a spiritual battle. So we resist him. And how do we do it? Verse 9 reads, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. The weapon of resistance is faith. The weapon of resistance is faith. And the way to keep the faith is to trust God's collective plan. Verse 9 says, Knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. So wait a minute. So you might say, wait, I thought we were talking about me and trying to encourage me. Why? How are we bringing my brothers and sisters into this? This doesn't make sense, right? Well, it actually does make sense. He's not switching subjects here. When we are in flight because of persecution, Satan can make us think we are all what? Alone. Alone. Out there isolated for the cause of Christ in the hopes that we think we're alone, we can't win because we're just one, and we just might give up. But just like Christ in the wilderness after his 40-day fast, and just like Christ on the cross, he was not alone. God and his word was with him. 
And God does not leave us alone in battle either. But we are to, by faith, know that God is working his plan collectively with all believers all over the world. That we are God's collective army fighting by his strength to defeat Satan. That when we look at our circumstances before us, we are not alone, although it looks like it. Just like Christ looked alone on the cross. But from God's vantage point, God sees he's up looking down and he sees his whole army of faith united for the cause of Christ. This way, we simply can't lose the battle, right? How many times in church history do we see believers persecuted and martyred, killed for the cause of Christ, leaving others behind to flee and spread the gospel to new lands, to new people? Many of the disciples were martyred, which on the surface looked like God had forgotten them, but just the opposite. As a result of their martyrdom, other believers spread out, sharing the gospel with new people groups and planting new churches. My goodness, ladies, America was founded for monetary and political reasons, but also for the freedom to worship. Separation of church and, church and state. So when we're, and we're used to that. So when we're persecuted for Christ's sake, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our Later in the same chapter, Paul says, Therefore, we don't lose heart, for this momentary light affliction is producing for us the eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. The things that not are temporal, don't look at that, but the things that are eternal. That leads us to our third and last point, ladies. On your handout, bloom. God will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Verse 10 reads, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. No imperative here, ladies. No commands here. This is the outcome of the battle for us. This is when we bloom, right? We're like a plant. A plant doesn't do anything to itself to make it bloom. God created the seed. God provides the water, the soil, the sunshine to make it bloom. Likewise with us. He himself will perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish us. And all we have to do is uh, receive it, right? Just receive it. These are glorification words. It takes, God takes, our humility, our casted anxieties, our sober-mindedness, our resistance of Satan through faith during our suffering, and counts them as blessings. But the glorification part Jesus 
already secured our salvation in him. 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7 says, You who are persecuted by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes through tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, honor, at the what? Revelation of Jesus Christ. We know God has many names, and the name he uses here is the God of all grace. This is the name we started with, ladies, in verse 5. The God of all grace, when we humbled ourselves between underneath the mighty hand, right? God's favor, that unmerited by us, grace. This name reminds us that God does not deal with us as we deserve but instead out of his active love for us. So when we blow it, like Peter did at that charcoal fire before the rooster crowed three times, God's got us, right? Let's define those terms. He will perfect us. That means after we've been broken in our suffering, he makes us whole, perfects us. He confirms us. That means after we've been shaky in our sufferings, he makes us solid and steadfast, confirms us. He strengthens us. That means after we've been weak in our suffering, he gives us the strength to hold our ground against the devil. And he establishes us. That means that after we've been unsteady in our sufferings, he makes us immovable against the enemy. We can't do or earn any of these things, ladies. These are glorification words for his chosen race, his royal priesthood. They are the words that we keep focused on while we're in battle. This is where we're looking while we're in battle. Don't look at the gun. Look up. This is different from Paul's writings, right? Think of Paul's writings. He encourages us in the midst of suffering, sustaining grace, right? Paul's books are all about sustaining grace, right? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am, right? Corinthians, right? Or the God of all comfort who comforts us in all afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, right? Sustaining grace, but not Peter. Peter's writings are different. They encourage us a future grace. While we are in the thick of battle, he encourages us to endure for the future blessings that are to come at the revelation of Christ. We're playing the long game, ladies. This is the long game. And after you've suffered for just a little while, the God of all grace has called you to short-term eternity with him. That's why the next verse says in chapter 11, to him be dominion forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus 
plants that final flag, the flag of victory, and he has earned it at the cross. And he decorates us, his soldiers, with those glorification words of perfection, confirmation, strength, and establishment. And our God reigns. This is where we humble ourselves in battle, and he exalts us, and we all win. That's amazing grace. So if you suffer for Christ's sake, remember to bow. Battle by faith. Receive the blooming effects of Christ's glorification. Because this short-term persecution in this world ends in long-term perfection in Christ. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, please give us courage hearts, courageous hearts, ready to humbly trust you through persecution for your sake. Help us to resist the devil through faith in you while keeping our focus on your future revelation, making us spiritually healthy women fit to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.